You're listening to Fireside Fridays, a podcast by Ghosts of Gippsland. Thank you for joining me by the fire today. In this episode, we are discussing the Lady of the Swamp. She was a belle of Melbourne society. She held some of the best society parties, travelled the world, was invited to Buckingham Palace, and was stinking rich. And then one day, it was all gone. Margaret Clement's lifestyle of gleaming carriages and fancy garden parties gave way to a life of squalor. The 17-room Gippsland mansion she shared with her sister fell into disrepair and became increasingly surrounded by swamp waters. Dressed in an old coat with a fur collar, Ms Clement was forced to wade waist-deep through the murky water to the nearest town 11 kilometres away for supplies and to send letters to her family begging for money. The refined gentlewoman became known as the Lady of the Swamp. Once a jewel of Gippsland, the sisters' mansion Tullery became overrun with cats, rats and snakes. And then one day in May 1952, Margaret Clement was gone too. Vanished. Never to be seen again. Did she simply fall victim to the murky floodwaters surrounding her derelict homestead and get washed out to sea? Was she murdered? And if she was murdered, who was the killer? It has become one of Australia's greatest unsolved mysteries and a source of local legend. Over 60 years later, the police file remains open but inactive. Extensive searches by police and 200 volunteers failed to find any trace of the swamp lady. Initially, it was thought that Miss Clement had slipped and drowned. But when her walking stick, which she took everywhere, was found at the back house, suspicion centred on a neighbour, former Footscray footballer Stanley Livingston. Police questioned the Livingstons closely about Miss Clement. Stanley Livingston accused Margaret's nephew, Clement Carnahan, of foul play. He in turn accused the Livingstons. Not even a coronial inquiry in 1980 could solve the baffling case. Police had believed bones found in November 1978 were those of Miss Clement. Expert opinion differed. Professor John Clement maintains that they were the bones of an elderly Aboriginal woman. Born on March 8, 1881, Margaret Clement lived a life of Victorian opulence. Her father Peter migrated from Scotland in search of gold. Failing to strike it rich in Ballarat, he turned his hand to delivering groceries to goldfields in Gippsland. According to Richard Shears in his book Swamp, Who Killed Margaret Clement, he got a tip to buy shares in the Long Tunnel Mine and struck deals with people who had not settled their accounts to pay with their shares. 
he became rich. Ms. Clement, her three sisters and two brothers were born into wealth. The girls went to Methodist Ladies College while their brothers attended Scotch. Ms. Clement and Sister Jeannie bought Tullery in 1907 with the proceeds from their father's will. In his history of Tarwin Lower, researcher J.R. Charles wrote, It is said the Clement girls did not know the common people. They attended garden parties and entertained people in high places, both in Melbourne and on their property. When going out, a liveryman rode ahead of the buggy and opened the closed gates. Their brother Peter managed the property and no expense was spared by the sisters who employed a household of two cooks, three maids, two manservants, a butler, a groom and two gardeners. They were social butterflies, travelling the world and purchasing expensive furnishings for Tullery, where they were Edwardian society hostesses to lavish gatherings serving gourmet food to guests from Melbourne. A letter from Margaret to her brothers said that they had been to Buckingham Palace and were presented at court to King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra, according to Richard Shear's book, Swamp, who killed Margaret Clement. But when brother Peter went away to fight in World War I, the fortunes of the extravagant heiresses began to decline. The women knew little about running off the farm. In Peter's absence, unscrupulous farm managers began selling off the good cattle and replacing them with inferior stock. Rustlers moved in and broke down fences. As Shears says in his book, word got out that the Clement sisters were ripe for the picking. The once glorious pastures, which had once been kept in check by prime cattle, were let go and the drainage was neglected. But still, the sisters maintained their extravagant lifestyle. Shears wrote that the first sign of the sudden fall in their wealth came with a bank statement in 1916. They were seriously in debt, their staff had to be sacked and the paddocks were flooding. Their world fell apart. The sisters sold off some of the land and took out several mortgages over the years. One of the mortgage holders was Melbourne's solicitor and sporting identity, Ross Graysmith. Mr. Graysmith paid about $27,000 for the mortgage, but Margaret Clement retained a caveat that prevented transfer of the title without her approval. The sisters waged a long-running legal battle over the mortgage, determined not to let Tullery go. Jeannie and Margaret continued to live in the house as recluses. The roof leaked, windows were smashed, and the house was surrounded by swamp. The sisters had no choice but to wear their finery until it became tattered and patched. The garden, once the best in the region, became buried in blackberry scrub as high as the house in some parts. The scrub even entered through the broken windows. Up to three times a week Margaret trudged to the nearest town, Buffalo, where she would get her supplies. When Jeannie died in 1950, an undertaker and his three assistants had to wade through one kilometre of waist-high swamp water to get to the mansion, and then another kilometre to carry her body out by stretcher. And Margaret gained some notoriety 
with media making the arduous journey out to Tullery to interview the Lady of the Swamp. Miss Clement told reporters the following. I will stay in my house with my books and my dog for the rest of my life. We were happy in our loneliness. We bothered nobody and nobody bothered us. I am alone now except for my dog Dingo. Maybe I will be lonely now my sister is done. I have no regrets and no fears. She reportedly concluded the interview with the following statement. A person has but one life and I am living and enjoying mine. It's the way I want to live. Whether other people agree with it or not, doesn't matter. Miss Clement continued to live alone in the decaying home without gas, electricity or even proper tank water. When her sister died, neighbour Esme Livingston befriended the eccentric woman. Her husband was Stanley Livingston, a former Footscray and Melbourne footballer. Esme and Ms. Clement would visit together and take shopping trips. Ms. Clement even stayed overnight at the Livingstons. In a will made in 1925, Ms. Clement had bequeathed Tullery to her nephew, Clement Carnahan, and three nieces. It was not long before Ms. Clement had disinherited her nephew. And in a move which shocked Ms. Clement's family, Mr. Livingston took over the mortgage on Tullery in 1951 for $25,000 and convinced the ageing woman to waive the caveat for $6,000. In exchange, he was to build her a small cottage on the property. The cottage was being built when Ms. Clement, 71, disappeared during a particularly wet and wild period. She was last seen alive on May 21, 1952, a week after her dog had been found with its throat slit. In the days after the disappearance, Mr Carnahan told the Herald he believed his aunt had been murdered. The Livingstons similarly told the son that they believed their neighbour had been killed or was being held captive. Her walking stick was found at the dilapidated mansion and her bed had not been slept in. Police, volunteers and black trackers searched through the waist-high swamp water looking for Ms Clement. They found nothing and the speculation continued. There were stories that stolen gold buried on the property before Ms Clement bought it was behind her disappearance. Mr Carnahan went to court to contest his aunt's will, claiming that she was not of sound mental state and was under undue from the Livingstons. The claim was rejected. Then in 1978, skeletal remains were discovered four kilometres from Tullery at Venus Bay. Eight months later, a couple found a 1940s-style handbag, decaying lace shawl, and coins predating Ms. Clement's disappearance. A coronial inquiry was announced. Detective Senior Sergeant Bill Townsend, who headed the investigation from 1978, told former reporter Russell Robinson in 2007 that he believed Mr. Livingston, who raised the alarm about the missing pauper, murdered Margaret Clement in a fit of rage. Mr. Livingston was renowned for his feats of strength. Detective Senior Sergeant Townsend went on to note... He had everything to gain from her being off the scene. He wanted her house. Just look at the type of man he was. Rough and very violent. Four people who came forward independently and told of separate conversations with Esme Livingston in which she told of her suspicion that her husband had killed Margaret Clement. In a statement to Coroner Kevin Mason, Yarra Glen woman Jean Sharp 
said she had become friends with Mrs Livingston in 1971. One day Esme came to see me. I could see she had been drinking and she said something similar to, Stan's going to get rid of me and I don't know what to do. She said that at Tullaree, Stan used to leave her and sleep with the old lady and this had upset Esme greatly. She said that Stan had been standing over the old lady until she would sign some document. Esme said she finally signed under the threats of being shot and then suddenly disappeared. Esme said Stan paid two men from Melbourne the sum of $1,000 to get rid of her body. She did not indicate how Margaret Clement was actually killed, but it seemed to the point at Stan, having got the property, now wanted her out of the way. Mrs Sharp said Mr Livingston was prone to violent outbursts and would not hesitate in beating Esme. I have seen her holding her arm up her back and pulling her hair. Another time I saw him holding her on the floor by his foot on her head. Esme Livingston told the coroner she could not recall discussing her husband's violence with any of the witnesses. Under oath, Stanley Livingston admitted having slapped his wife but denied killing Ms Clement. Coroner Mr Mason was not convinced by the Livingstons. He felt in their answers in a number of ways were far from frank with the court. But expert opinion was divided on the bones. Dental forensic scientist Gerald Dalitz believed they were from an elderly Aboriginal woman. Dr Dalitz had since passed away, but University of Melbourne Chair of Forensic Odontology Professor John Clement said he was certain he was correct. Professor Clement said Dr Dalitz had shown him photos of the bones. He said the photos he was shown were clearly someone who had enormous amounts of tooth wear that you never see in a European person. He said the person had died before European settlement and went on to say that they had been living in the Stone Age and had Stone Age wear on their teeth. Mr Mason at inquest returned an open finding, unable to positively identify the bones. Mr Livingston died a millionaire in 1993. He had drained the swamp at Tullaree and returned it to profitability, selling it for $250,000 in 1964, ten times what he paid for it. He went on to own most of Curtis Island near Gladstone. He died of a heart attack. His wife died a year after her husband. And with them died possibly the last chance to solve the mystery of the Lady of the Swamp. In the eyes of former Victoria Police Deputy Commissioner and ex-homicide squad head Paul Delianus, what happened to Ms Clement is no mystery. During the inquest, he said he strongly suggested that Mr Livingston was behind Ms Clement's disappearance. He was quite convinced that he was the culprit, and he had the motive to do it. He wanted to take over the property, and there was a lot of argument and legal cases going to be involving Ms Clement. But Mr Livingston knew there was no concrete evidence the police had that could charge him. Mr Delianus claims Ms Livingston knew, but did not reveal the truth. He was a very violent man and a very strong individual. There was an incident where he was seen to lift a 44-gallon drum full of liquid and put it on the back of a truck. Would have been nice to have cleared it up. When you know somebody's involved and you can't quite pin it on them, he was a devious old coot. I don't believe the bones found at Venus Bay belong to Ms Clement, and I don't think her bones will ever be uncovered. If they are ever found, it'll be some stroke of luck. The chances of that happening are very, very remote. 
However, I don't believe she drowned in the swamp water either. She was a cunning old soul, as far as I could see. She was able to wade through water and go shopping at Buffalo. In 2008, Victoria Police's cold case, Belia Task Force, looked into the matter again. But no living relatives could be located and detectives could not determine if the remains are those of Ms Clement. Victoria Police went on to advise that investigators have followed up all avenues of inquiry and unfortunately, unless new information comes to light, the case remains inactive. So what do you think happened to Margaret Clement? Was it the neighbour or was it something else? Thank you for listening to Fireside Fridays. You can follow Ghosts of Gippsland on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This is Vigilante's Vendetta production, which you can also follow on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. All source material has been credited in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening.